0: You're listening to Confessions of a Grieving Mother by Emma's Footprints. Footprints. Each week, we will be bringing you stories to give you a real look on what families go through after they experience a pregnancy or infant loss. Our goal is to help educate, support, and break the stigma around this topic. Be prepared for tears and laughter as we remember our babies. This is going to be real, raw, and vulnerable, so get your boots on. It's going to be messy.
1: Good morning, Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Confessions of a Grieving Mother. I am Tracy, Emma's mom, and I am Julie, Gus's mom, and on the phone we have Jess. Hey, Jess. Hello. Whose mama are you? I am
2: Freya's mom.
1: Freya? Yeah. Freya. Can you spell that? I love it.
2: F-R-E-Y-A. F-R-E-Y-A.
0: Freya. I actually, now that you say that, I went to high school with a girl named Freya. She was a twin. Oh, wow. Yep. I love that. I love the name. Yeah, Yeah, that's really pretty.
2: Where are you calling us from? I live in Maine, so I am in a suburb of Portland, which is the biggest city in Maine. Okay. I've been to Portland once.
1: <laughs> Tracy got real excited. Yes. She's like, like me, I've been, I've been there. I actually went to RTS Training, which oh. is resolved Through Sharing, which is like a bereavement. I'm RTS trained. And so, yeah, we flew into Portland and we got to see some lighthouses.
2: There are plenty of lighthouses, yes.
0: I was going to say, are they kind of known for that, though? I think. I don't know. I've only been there once.
2: I mean, Maine's, like, known for their lighthouses.
0: Yeah.
1: And then we went to a seafood restaurant, and I don't participate in seafood. So
2: (laughs) (laughs) it's going to be a note for me. It was fun. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not big into seafood either, but, like, every restaurant... It has like it. The general area that I live in is all seafood. It's pretty interesting. Yeah.
1: I don't know what you eat, but I don't, and I don't know what I ate, but I survived. You didn't eat that day. I <laughs> Although I did get introduced to aioli in Portland. So that's enough about my Portland trip. So good job. <laughs> yeah. Great. Okay. We'll wrap that up. Um, did you grow up
2: there? Yeah. Um, I've lived in Southern Maine most of my life. I moved a few times to the Southeast, but then I ended up coming back. So.
1: What do you do in life right now, Jess?
2: What do I do in life? What right you now I life? Just, uh,
1: I have a pretty boring accounting job. Nothing <gasps> super exciting there. Oh, that's fun. I was an accounting major in college. No way. Yeah, but I wasn't meant to be an accountant, so <laughs> no. you're meant to be a co founder. Um, I don't, I'm don't know
2: if anybody's like meant to be an no. accountant. It wasn't you
1: know? It wasn't what I wanted to do when I grew up. <laughs> yeah. Was this what you wanted to do? No, this oh, is okay. not what I wanted to, wanted to do either. Sure. I did not. <laughs> no. That's funny. I did not want to lose a baby. That's right. Um, are you married?
2: I am married. My 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 husband's name is Michael. We got married two years ago in September.
1: And how did we meet Michael?
2: Oh, man. Um, <laughs> so, this is a funny story. So um, I actually was a police officer for a few what? years mm-hmm. that's so cool and my husband is still a police officer and we met through work he actually trained me to do like defensive tactics
1: and then you fell in love that's kind of cool and then we fell in love. Is. Yeah. yeah. I'm like picturing that in my head right now so your police officer turned accountant
2: <laughs>
1: yeah I got injured
2: on oh. the job and then I was never able to go back so.
1: don't like that for you I hate that
2: yeah it's not super fun but
1: okay so you you met him how long you've been married for two years but how long have you known him
2: uh four
0: four years and what did it what did it look like um having the conversation about growing your family is that something I feel
2: like even before we were like serious as a couple I've always been super open about the fact that you know, being a mother is super important to me. And I've always felt like a, a pull to being a mother. And then I just thought it was something that I was going to love and be good at it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so he was very well aware that by the time we were engaged in getting toward getting married, that I was like ready to have a baby as soon as he was ready. And he just wanted to wait until we were actually married. And then it was go time. Did yeah, you... but that didn't actually happen anyway. So... Oh.
1: <laughs> the best laid plans. Did you yeah, grow up? I
2: found out. What? Sorry? Well, I was
1: going to say, did you grow up in a big family?
2: Uh, I have two sisters, so not necessarily a huge family, but my mom and my dad both grew up in really big families. So you I think my mom has around. 10 siblings, and oh, so wow. my dad has eight siblings.
0: Oh, that's a lot of siblings. That's large. That's, that's excellent. a large. large family. That's yeah, a venti that's... family. <laughs> <laughs> Extravagant, yes. yes. Trainer.
1: That's <laughs> okay. So then you were starting to say you found out you were pregnant.
2: Oh right. Um, I found out I was pregnant with Aurora, who's my firstborn, about six weeks before my wedding, which was not on purpose or <laughs> planned.
0: That wasn't on the schedule. No. <laughs> no, it was That's not. And schedule. And I
2: already had my wedding dress and everything, um, so I was like, "This is going to be interesting. This is fun." How did
1: you find out? Were you having symptoms? I was having symptoms, yes. And it was
2: the weekend before my bachelorette party and I felt weird and I was Ugh. like, I should probably figure this out before I go and you know, have a have a good time this weekend. And then I was pregnant and I thought it was fake for like three <laughs> weeks. You just
0: stared at it
2: like, <laughs> is this real?
0: yeah i was like
2: i'm i called my sister i was like these can be wrong sometimes right (laughs) she was like no not really
1: not so much so did you change your plans for your bachelorette party
2: uh yeah it wasn't quite the same i mean we still did like we went to the same destination we went to boston but uh the night part of the activities was a lot different Mm -hmm. yeah needlepoint
0: yeah (laughs) Yeah. for sure (laughs) we need to relive
2: that (laughs) I basically was like, "Do you guys just want to like hang out in the hotel room and do face masks and rub my feet? I don't know. Can naps be involved? Right? Yeah. Seriously, I was sick then too, so oh. I, was like, I don't know. I think that I might just throw up. <laughs>
1: yeah. Someone hold the bucket. Someone get my hair.
0: So, exactly. how was your pregnancy like? As far as I guess all of it goes, healthy? Were you sick? you're saying you were, but did that last past, you know, your first trimester or any um, hiccups?
2: So Aurora's pregnancy was obviously now with what I've been through with Freya, it seems like it wasn't yeah. super dramatic, but it kind of, it was. Uh-huh. Um, I was sick. I passed out. Oh God. How many weeks was, I, I think I was like 10 weeks and I was at work and I just like passed out.
0: Not and they realized
2: yikes. that I was having like really bad issues with my blood pressure. Okay. Um, it was way too low. It was like 86 or something, whatever. Oh, that's scary. Yeah. yeah. So um, I, I'm just like severely anemic. And so when I get pregnant, it's even worse than that, but I wasn't diagnosed with anemia until I was pregnant. So I didn't know. Mm. Yeah. Um, And then kind of stemming from when I had my little incident at work, we started to get to the point where we we're having like the anatomy scans and stuff like that for Aurora. And at our 20-week scan, they told us lots of bad news, lots and lots of bad things basically. I had um a two-vessel cord. They thought that she was missing one of her kidneys. Oh, my um gosh. one of the chambers in her heart wasn't right and she had lesions in her brain. So, they thought that she might have T21 just because a lot of those things point toward T21. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did you have so further all... testing
1: then? Genetic yeah. testing?
2: Yeah. So, I was one of those people where I was like, I cannot wait. Like, you can't tell me this and tell yeah. me I have to wait a week to go to the doctor um, to find this out. Like, there's no way that I can do that. So, I went to the MFM. Basically immediately after I left the other doctor's appointment. Yeah. It was a few hours later. And they were like, we don't see any of that. So it's one of those. <gasps> what? Was one oh those my gosh! I was like, now I'm confused. Is she fine or is she not fine? Right.
0: How can you um, go from seeing all of that? Those are specific those are things yeah. to Thank not you. seeing them that's at all. Like, Did you have the wrong scans? Confused. Like, not sure. That's crazy. Ooh. Did you then see
1: the MFM go forward with your other appointments? Or or they said, no, "No, you don't need
2: us. So I had to go back and forth because my doctor kept disagreeing with us, the MFM doctor. Oh, my
0: gosh. My
2: doctor kept thinking there was things wrong with her, and the MFM doctor was like, I don't know why they're doing this to you. Like, I think you have a a two-vessel cord. I did have that, and I had – Growth restriction. So she was really small. But he was like, other than that, like, I don't see anything wrong with her. And I don't know why they keep sending you back. So they just kept sending me there to scare me. I don't know. Maybe they were getting oh me ready for something. Yeah. Wow.
0: Well, that doesn't like let you have an Let's easy. Some Mormon fuzzies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like an easy rest of your pregnancy. I'm sure. Stress.
2: No, definitely not. And then she came at 37 weeks because she was uh, first percentile for weight. Oh. But she's a perfect little peanut.
0: So when was um, Aurora Aurora born?
2: March 28th of 2022. Okay.
1: And so she had none of those other, none of the complications or problems that the first OB
2: said? Correct. She has nothing, there's, they've found nothing wrong with her. She just was four pounds and 10 ounces when she was born. So she was real small, but. Yeah.
0: Sweet girl. Okay. So um, then you get pregnant. How
2: soon after? I believe it was about three months later. I'm like looking at the timeline, I'm like, oh <laughs> approximately <laughs> maybe four it was between three and four months later. And I'm a psychopath because approximately I was like, three <laughs> <laughs> It's what I wanted. I was so excited when I thought out I was pregnant again. Aww, I
1: love that for you then. That's great. Did we did we choose a different obate?
2: <laughs> you know that was one of the things I almost did I wanted to go to a midwife and mm-hmm. kind of do like the doula midwife kind of thing instead of going to the OB that I had been seeing and they wouldn't see me because of all of the things that they had initially thought were wrong with Aurora and my cord and everything they said that I'm inherently high risk for like the rest of forever now I guess because I had a small baby and a cord uh, deficiency
1: okay mm-hmm. so squash so I that see... idea
2: I know. So I have to see this OB basically because they deliver, there's only one hospital that has like a good NICU in Mm -hmm. like this general area. Mm Um, so if you have like a high risk pregnancy, yeah, it's kind of like, well, this is where you're going to go.
0: So three to four months later, you find out you're pregnant again. Yeah. Head to the doctors and are you sick? What made you take a test? Um,
2: I was counting the days like I, we were trying Planner. we were trying to get pregnant so it was I like love the babies I was about to take a test. yeah um it was like four in the morning 4 30 in the morning before work and I was trying to do it on the first pee because of like the first day when yeah. I could I could take a test and I remember I came downstairs like woke my husband up because he was sleeping with our four-month-old like on the couch yeah and I was all excited and he's just like I don't what's happening right now yeah
1: D- he, didn't he know the plan <laughs> didn't he know what you were doing and what time you were um, doing it <laughs> Did yeah, you just say you're plan, having another baby? didn't know that
2: the plan was happening at 5 in the morning.
1: Right. <laughs> he did not get the memo. No. He didn't read the email
2: for that. And, I mean, everything was perfect with my pregnancy with Freya for, you know, until it wasn't. It was, it was perfect. There was no problems. I remember I had, like, some minor spotting right at the beginning, but it was nothing they were concerned about and she looked great she was growing great which was a big thing I had a good cord which was a big thing
1: um were you nervous so I mean did all the things that they said you know that experience with Aurora it was like okay that didn't turn out like that right was any of that kind of on your mind or were you just like okay that was a fluke and so I'm blissfully yeah
2: excited I mean it was But it almost made me take what the doctors say less seriously Mm. in a negative way. Now that I've gone through what I've gone through, because when I originally started having issues with my pregnancy with Freya, I was like, you know, they said all these things about Aurora and they said that she was, you know, going to have bad lungs. And they said that there was something wrong with her brain and her heart and all this. And now she's here and she's perfect. So I just need to have faith and try not to panic kind of thing. And obviously it didn't turn out as beautiful as my first pregnancy did um but I think I I went into it feeling pretty good and pretty strong knowing that even if I had a hard pregnancy I was still excited because my first pregnancy wasn't super relaxing and I just wanted that for my second pregnancy really
1: yeah that's fair we should all yeah we all want that
2: yeah (laughs) So, yeah you know we all see like the people on the internet you know that are glowing and yeah. everything's perfect and their baby's big and healthy and right. they're not sick and are
1: like unfollow I eat
2: vegetables <laughs> I remember that that was like the big thing I had the worst food aversion to vegetables with Freya I don't know much she was just like not into it any vegetable
1: it was a no none yeah.
2: no nope. she wanted sour candy
1: that's <gasps> what she wanted sour candy that's funny mm-hmm. huh give the baby what she wants
2: I did too. Yeah. There was no telling her now, which I've learned.
1: So you go to the anatomy scan.
2: Um, yeah. No. So Thanksgiving of this past year, I was 16 weeks, just about 16 weeks. I might've been 15 weeks and some change. I don't remember, but I started bleeding on Thanksgiving and obviously none of the doctor's offices are open or anything like that on Thanksgiving. So, I was just kind of, you know, trying not to freak out. It wasn't enough to where I thought, like, oh my God, I'm having a miscarriage right now or anything like that. It was just like spotting. So, I was like, if it's still happening in the morning, I'll call the doctor and we'll figure it out from there. But they had told me in my first um, trimester that a little bit of spotting was usually nothing hey, that anyone mm-hmm.
1: day concerned about. So, August like 24 day. hours we want to invite you to help
2: support so Emma's to doctor, footprints, as we continue to provide financial they... assistance. Tell me that they can't see anything, to but they expect that, that I can have a placental abruption. Eerie um, Gives Day is the one day which which everyone can be a philanthropist with a gift it, of just $25
1: think that's what or more. I have moms, dads, grandmas, aunts, family friends, um, and anyone else who is listening, listen up because you have some homework. Like us on Facebook and Instagram, at Eerie Gives on Tuesday, August 8th to your calendar, and follow along that day to help support Emma's and cheer us on. For more details, head to amazoprints.com.
2: Okay, so if they're saying
1: placental abruption, what was what was your bleeding like? Like, I might be, this might be a little too much information. But also,
2: but,
0: hold on. A oh no,
2: I will share as much as you want to know. I'm like super. Did, I do this to everybody. I'm like, if I'm TMI, just like tell me to shut up. It's fine.
0: Okay, hold on. Pause. Um, pause. 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 Jess, <laughs> did you even know what placental mm-hmm. abruption meant?
2: No.
0: Okay. I've
2: so never heard of it in my entire. These life. These big
0: words are being said, right? Because if Thrown you're going no, around, yeah. If you're not, if you're not in the lost community ever. Why would you know what that word is? Right. So, did
2: they go into detail of what that means, or not really? Um, I remember the first time I was told I had an abruption; they were so nonchalant about it Wait, that the I first was time? Not even. You were told yes. more than once. Oh yeah, this is this is gonna be a story. You guys <laughs> will love it. Um, the I they were so nonchalant about it that I was like not even stressed out about it like that's how low-key they made it seem like everything was going to be absolutely fine they were like yeah just you know try to rest don't lift anything heavy um no sex other than that like you're fine and i don't expect anything to go on they usually heal on their own especially when they're this early on bloody bloody blah -blah. what (laughs)
1: question question mark okay but okay back to my back to how much blood was happening
0: that's right
2: (laughs) oh right i forgot (laughs) um i don't know it was at this point it wasn't I hadn't had my first really bad incident yet, so I would say it was still spotting, but it was more toward, like, a red spot than a brown spot. So making it more like a new blood, not old blood coming out.
1: Right. Okay, but, like, the like a lot or, like, a medium, like, a little bit?
2: I would say, like, I needed a panty liner on, but I didn't have to, like, wear big pads every day or anything like that.
1: Okay, so you went in and they said from that, that's the first time they told you, possible placental abruption
2: correct and I had been bleeding for I don't know 36 hours at that point without stopping
1: huh interesting so they said this heals on its own so go home and just rest
2: no I mean (laughs) they they said well we don't believe in bed rest uh so Basically, just don't lift anything too heavy, even though they knew that I had like a five month old baby that I was
0: caring for. Okay.
2: Yeah, that part was very confusing for me because I was like, I don't, am I supposed to rest or not rest? Because you say you don't believe in bed rest, but you told me to rest. So what does that mean?
0: Right. I don't understand that statement. (laughs) Were you, you were in the doctor's office, right?
2: Correct. Okay.
0: So then do they send you home or?
2: Yeah, they just sent me home.
0: Okay. To rest, but not rest. Yeah. (laughs) Correct.
2: How long <laughs> did that rest, last? Don't rest too much.
0: Yeah. How long it, did that it, last for?
2: Um. It didn't really. Mm-hmm. Um. I never really stopped bleeding again. It went down to like a a a lighter spotting than I was having, but I never stopped again. Um. So I was going into the doctor at least once a week from 16 to 19 weeks, which is when I had my actual first like bad episode of my abruption. Um. I woke up one morning and I was just I sat on the toilet and there was just blood everywhere and I obviously knew that I had something going on in there so I was petrified um and little did I know that the amount that I was calling a lot of blood then was like nothing compared to what I saw as my pregnancy went on but it was definitely too much to be losing when you're pregnant. Like, absolutely, obviously too much. Um, How far along were you at this point? I was exactly 19 weeks. Okay.
1: And so for those four weeks of this off often on, often and on again thing, what were what were the doctors telling you? Like, things to look out for? Or
2: what was um, that Yeah, like? they basically, well, they're telling you they can't save your baby, first of all. Um if something were to happen and that if you have a miscarriage again, there's nothing that they can do. They just want to make sure that I was safe at that point because if placental abruptions get worse, they can be life threatening. But they told me that that's super rare. It's like not common. And so they were like trying to have me, you know, not freak out. Um, So I just kept going into the doctor whenever I would bleed and they would check it and they, they were okay with the amount of blood that was coming out and the baby was okay um, then they would send me home, and she was doing amazing through all this. I mean, she was she wasn't even acting like anything was happening. She was growing perfectly. She was normal size, which was crazy because I had a small baby the first time, so I was expecting to have another small baby. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically they were like, "You just gotta." There's nothing that they can do to stop it, and there's nothing that they can do, obviously, that early to help the baby either. Wow.
1: Huh. Okay, can you take us into, it's like, you say that, and then I'm like, okay, but I want the listeners. What did that look like in your home with your husband, with a baby, and was that stressful for you guys? Did, how did you communicate through that? Like, what did that look like?
2: Yeah, I mean, at first, I just stopped, because I had been, like, lifting weights still, not anything significant, but, like, you know, doing some stuff, trying to yeah, stay in shape exercising. to be healthy. Yep. Yeah. So the first thing, and I, I was like, I think I needed to stop lifting. Like, I think that that's probably too much for what I have going on. Um, we can try to do box, uh, just to keep me moving. Mm-hmm. And and that was it for those three weeks. And mm-hmm. again, those first three weeks, they were telling me, you know, that I, I didn't need to worry. And I was trying to listen to that. Um, so I don't think the first three weeks, it really hit us what was going on. I thought everything was going to be fine. And I was just having some spotting. And it would go away in a few weeks um it took a long time for me to actually realize like what was what was going on because it's not explained well when something like this is happening to your body they don't want to tell you I feel like because they're basically telling you bad things and they they sugarcoat that a lot which is actually really frustrating for me with doctors don't like just you got to tell me what's going on with my body and my baby I need to know so a lot of the research that happened with me and my husband starting to understand what was happening was done at home. Um, I was reading and figuring out what was going on and he was reading and figuring out what was going on. And it was just really hard for us to understand because most of the literature and research that you look at for placental abruptions say that they're not even possible until you're 20 weeks, that it's not, Huh? You can't you can't be diagnosed with it until you're twenty weeks, and I was sixteen weeks when I got diagnosed with it, so I was very confusing.
0: Wow, that's um, interesting. I just feel mm-hmm. like it's kind of a roller coaster. It's all over the it's all over the board. Yeah, like it's like
2: it's I like, thought I was misdiagnosed. Honestly, I thought that I just had previa and that they were misdiagnosing me. Yeah. Huh?
1: Placental previa, right? Yeah. And can you explain what that is? to our listeners
2: that's just basically when your placenta is like covering your cervix or very close to it so you get some bleeding um and my placenta was really close to my cervix the whole time so I was you know pretty convinced that I was smarter than the doctors, which yeah, is stupid. you were the doctor I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not saying that that was the correct way to do it at all but um I thought I was misdiagnosed for sure for several weeks
0: oh I don't like this yeah it's like what are you supposed to so what were the next steps like what happened next
2: they literally couldn't give me next steps and every time i went to the doctor they would just say i'm sorry i wish i could tell you more but i can't i can't tell you if you're okay i can't tell you if your baby's okay I can't tell you uh what's going to happen in the next 30 minutes basically but we can't keep you in the hospital because you're not to gestational viability." And basically if you're still bleeding, when you get to gestational viability, plan to stay in the hospital until you deliver your baby.
0: Wow.
1: Wow. So when you were on the toilet that morning with a lot of blood, mm-hmm. you went in and that's what they told you?
2: They told me that even before that morning. Okay. Um, it was kind of just reiterated to me that morning though that they couldn't like- help her. like that it was if I'm having a miscarriage or whatever my body was doing there was nothing that they could do and they just wanted me to be hospitalized uh for my health not for the baby
0: yeah because then as I'm like sitting here thinking it's like if it is a placental abruption um don't you have high risk of of infection at some point or no
2: there's a high risk for a lot of really bad things yeah <laughs> um, i mean like
0: blood loss yeah we're
2: yeah not, we're not there's... medical
0: professionals over here but
2: it's very dangerous for the mother right um,
1: to not be in medical care or, right yeah
2: to not be cared for like constantly because you're you're losing blood constantly right. obviously so you know your body's going through all of that to create all this blood and caring for a baby at the same time like it's, and just, your anemic. it's too much right? right and i'm anemic yeah, yeah. wow
1: Okay, so we end up in the hospital?
2: Yes. So the 19 weeks, me and my husband wake up and we go to the hospital. And it actually got progressively worse once I got to the hospital. Um, they checked my cervix and made sure I wasn't having contractions, which I knew I wasn't. Obviously, I've felt them before. Um, but sorry, I started passing really large blood clots. Uh, when I got there, which is something I've never experienced before. It's not mm-hmm. like a regular period. It's not like um, anything like that. It's actually just like large. I don't even know how to describe it. It looks like an organ coming out of your body.
1: Wow. Could you feel that happening?
2: Yes, you can feel it happening. Mm-hmm. So, which is a very strange feeling also. And knowing that your baby's so small, mm-hmm. it's it was it was interesting for sure. But so I was in the hospital that whole day and they basically, were just monitoring me for blood loss so every time I would go to the bathroom I'd have to go to the bathroom like in a little cup and I'd have to save all of the blood clots for them to measure how much blood I was losing because oh there's gosh. no real way for them to measure it right other than doing it like that right <clears throat> and they had to make sure I wasn't dying basically of blood loss um and you know it was just like a wait and pray kind of thing because they couldn't help the baby I was only 19 weeks and mm-hmm. it was if I'm miscarrying there's absolutely nothing that i i can do to stop my body from doing this basically
0: right right
1: which i i get but i don't like right
2: Especially yeah, when and you it's, don't know like, what's
1: happening to you right
2: and that's the situation when you or that's how i felt at least when i was you know the mom in that situation like as much as i understand what you guys are saying as far as like there's no medical way for you to be able to help my baby I, I wish you wouldn't say it like that. Like, don't say we're not here for the baby. We're here to make sure you're okay. Because I have a 19-week-old baby that right. I've been caring for for this whole time. And you're telling me, you know, we're not here for her. Like, that's the only reason I'm here is right. for her. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. So I ended up having to stay in the hospital for a couple of days that time because my abruption kept getting bigger. So this whole time I'm getting ultrasounds, you know, like every few hours based on how mm-hmm. much blood I'm losing and everything like that to see if the baby is still, you know, living basically. Right. Um, And she was, she was still doing fine, which was, I mean, a miracle basically like babies don't do fine through that, which is very confusing that she was doing fine. Um and they had told me that they could actually see my abruption at that point wow yeah so it was it was pretty large even I could pick it out on an ultrasound and we all know how weird it is to see things on ultrasounds because it all just looks like goo um but it's like just a big black area that's a little bit lighter than where your actual placenta is in there it's kind of confusing to describe right
1: but you can notice something right and so they just say, well, we're just going to wait and see what happens.
2: <laughs> I don't like this. They more, yeah, they more so, uh, they, they told me that they couldn't keep me hospitalized for forever because I wasn't survivability. So it was like they were trying to balance, like, how long do we keep somebody in the hospital that, isn't to viability even though they're bleeding and we know that they're not necessarily stable but i wasn't bleeding enough for it to be
0: life-threatening either Mm. Mm. (laughs) so they discharge you
2: they did just charge me the the next day they told me that i could go home and i had stopped having large clots i was just bleeding like you would for a regular period right And they basically were telling me that it wasn't a lot of blood for them. Like they weren't, they weren't seeing it as a serious amount of blood. Is there
0: anything that they could have said to, like, or what could they have said, well, yeah, <laughs> to um, make the situation ease, not easier, uh, less traumatic for yeah. you?
2: I don't know if there was really anything that they could have said. The hospital was a lot different than my OB in the way that they were very straightforward as far as, yeah, like, this is happening to you and there's nothing that we can do to stop it from happening to you. Mm-hmm. And they were like, the more days that you bleed and the more that you bleed, the less likely it is that it's going to stop, which was good for me to hear because I didn't understand that until somebody told me. Right because you can have a placental abruption and have you know one or two instances of bleeding for a day or two and that's it but that's not what my situation was right um so the first time I went home it's, it's so hard to even remember because there was so many
0: yeah.
2: times that I had to go and go home but that's when everything really changed with our, I don't want to say panic level, our alert that we were on that yeah. something, you know, serious was happening and that we might lose this baby, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so I stopped everything, basically, at that point. I was lifting Aurora as infrequently as possible. I was trying not to go up and down my stairs I was you know when I was walking I wasn't making any like sudden big movements I wasn't picking anything up I mean I was doing bed rest even though they told me that too mm-hmm. they didn't believe in bed rest but one one doctor would tell me that I needed bed rest and the other would tell me that they didn't believe in it but that's just another besides the point anyway
1: yeah that's confusing yeah it's and the just, bleeding continued
2: yeah the bleeding did not stop um between 19 and 23, which is when, you know, I start to vividly remember everything again. I know I was in the hospital two or three more times. Wow. Um, I would just, you know, it, it was random too, when my blood would just start, I would just start bleeding everywhere. I would stand up and I would feel like I was like peeing my pants or wow. I would stand up and I would feel a blood clot come out. And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh no, because that, like obviously, I could tell that something's happening if all of this is happening right now, right. and I would go back or I would call. And every time you call for something like that, you need to you have to go to the hospital. They don't know if you're dying. Like right. they, they can't. They can't tell based on you know yeah. what you're describing. Yeah. Phone
1: conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So there was one other time I had to stay, and then there was one other time that I went, and they basically were like, "You've been here so much, and we feel bad that we keep admitting you." Um, and you're not at viability, so you don't need to stay. There's nothing that the week can do, and they basically were like, if you get to bleeding even more than this, come back. Um, But it was just so that I had medical attention while I was miscarrying more than anything. Yeah. Right. So you make it to 23 weeks. Yeah, so I was actually... 22 weeks and 6 days. Um it was a few days after New Year's, as far hmm. as I remember. So this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah it must it. Yes, this year. January of this year. And it was my husband's working. He works nights um, police department. So I had gone to my parents' house because they had been trying to help me with Aurora because I wasn't lifting and everything still. Um and I went to sleep that night and I started having cramps and I was definitely in denial. Um, they weren't cramps. I was having contractions. Mm-hmm. I was just in denial. Um, mm-hmm. And I hadn't, I was laying in bed, but I, I, I wasn't feeling blood clots or like lots of blood coming out. So I was like, you know, if something really bad was happening, I'd be bleeding. Right. That's what, that's what I was telling myself. Um, and I lasted the whole night basically laboring um waiting for it just waiting for it to stop but it didn't Mm -hmm. um I think my husband got there at like eight o'clock the next morning and once I started to move the next morning I just I started bleeding everywhere Mm -hmm. as soon as I basically got out of bed and started doing any sort of movement and I was still having contractions so We call the hospital and they're like, we would send an ambulance, but where I was wasn't in range of the hospital that they needed me to go to, which I don't know if that's confusing. But so the town that I was in has a small little hospital, but they Mm -hmm. don't have any sort of serious OB or NICU, anything like that. They don't have any of that. And they didn't want the ambulance to bring me there just to have to transfer me again. So they were like, if you think that you can just drive straight here, um, it's probably the best way to do it. How far is the just drive? To, to get you there. It was 35 minutes, probably, maybe 40 minutes. Wow. And, uh you know, the whole ride there, I'm panicking at this point, basically. Like, crying, panicking. Um And in pain? Oh, I mean, yeah, I was in labor. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. But it was just like the least of my worries at that point was the labor pains. Right. Um, I just remember every time I would have a contraction I was like I'm having another one to my husband because mm. I was just like hoping that they would either get farther apart or that he would tell me hey that one was a lot farther than the other one or well that one you didn't seem like was as much pain do you know what I mean? Just trying yeah. to have something hold on to anything. Um. Yeah exactly. So we get to the hospital and They immediately admit me, obviously, bring me up to um, the OB floor and put me on the monitors, all that stuff. The baby was still alive, which was actually really shocking for me that day. I thought that they were just going to tell me that she was already gone and my body was trying to miscarry, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, But she was fine. She was just chilling in there, being a little trooper. Like she was the entire time. She was like, "I really don't care what you're going through, mom. Like I'm just trying to grow." Oh. Um, but they confirmed that I was in labor, and I was, I think I was only one centimeter that day, which they were excited about. But they were getting my contractions like on the monitors, so they were like, "Yeah, you're definitely like you're in labor. Something's happening." So they gave me magnesium, which wasn't to stop. My labor because they said when you have a placental abruption, they can't stop your labor Um, because it's mm-hmm. your body's telling you that it needs to come out for a reason. Is the way that they described it to me. And if right. they stop it, it could kill me. Basically. Right. Wow. They're like, your body's trying to not die. That's why it's trying to get huh. the baby out. Wow. Yeah, because I was I was bleeding a lot at this point. Like, I had clots the size of my entire hand coming out of me oh my gosh
1: that must be so scary to see uh
2: yeah yeah, I mean it's petrified yeah Yeah. but then you have the doctors telling you that if it's not the size of your liver that it's not life-threatening so like the whole time I'm like it's big but it's not too big to keep the baby (laughs) in is what I kept telling myself under the size of life-threatening how long did you labor for um when they started the magnesium that day I only labored I would say another hour and it stopped my contractions, Mm. which they said that they gave me the magnesium for the baby, um, because it helps their brain if they are extremely premature. Um, but that the side effect of that drug also sometimes can help stop contractions. So in my brain, I'm like, I think you guys just stopped my contractions and said it was for the baby's brain, but that's fine. Um, They gave me a couple other things, too. They started my steroids that day because they were like, look, if this baby's coming, like, she's obviously extremely underdeveloped. Right. um, And you knew she was a girl girl at this point? I knew she was a girl, yeah. We had named her, I would say, either, like, the day before or two days before we had gone to the hospital. We had, like, just decided her name because Mm -hmm. I was like, Lord forbid something happens to this baby, she's going to have a name. Yeah. Um. And that was the first time we met with the NICU, too, because in my brain, gestational viability meant that the baby was going to be fine. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: And it's a very traumatic realization when you realize that that's not the case. Yeah. And that isn't what it means. And uh, so the NICU consultant came in and started to explain to us, you know, what was going to happen if the baby came. and likelihood of survival and what that even means if the baby were to survive as far as disabilities go, which I had no idea about, like, no clue what all of this meant for her, even if she fought this battle and won, what it meant for her life.
1: Right. Yeah, go forward. Um. Did you have any questions for the NICU team? I feel like if I was in that position, I would not even know what to ask. It wouldn't feel real.
2: It didn't it didn't feel real and I was so shocked by everything that I was being told. I was just It's like the first time my heart broke really for her because I was so excited that we had made it to 23 weeks. Right. And that's all anybody had been telling me. You need to make it to viability. You need to make it to viability. You need to make it. And I'm like, "Here I am. I yeah, made you it." Did that. And now I have a doctor telling me that she's probably going to die anyway. Yeah. Right. And if she didn't, that she's never going to walk or talk. Yeah. So it was, it was really hard. And I didn't even know what, I I I didn't know what to say. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what to ask. I didn't know yeah. anything. I mean, at that point it was hard. Me and my husband were looking at each other. We're like how are we going to bring this baby they're telling us that our baby's never going to walk never going to talk never going to read never going to write she'd have to have a feeding tube her whole life i'm like so basically would she live in the hospital her whole life like i don't understand right right because they're asking you those hard questions in those moments too like do you want us to save the baby and it's like did you just ask me right if i want you to save the baby like what do you mean do i want you to save the baby
0: What a
1: horrific position to be in.
2: It's terrible, and they—they're super detailed, obviously, because it's liability for them. They're like, "How far do you want us to go? Do you want us to do CPR on the baby? Do you want us to do X Y Z to the baby? Do you want us to put her, you know, on life support if she Mm -hmm. were to come out? Do you, if it was you or her, which one do you choose?" Like, my goodness, yeah. Life gets really serious in those those situations. So what happens next? Um, they basically tell me I'm not leaving for at least four days if I stop bleeding. So if you stop bleeding for twenty four hours consistently, we'll let you go home until then you're not leaving, basically. And at that point, I hadn't stopped bleeding in six weeks. I was like, I'm not wow. gonna stop bleeding magically now. I haven't oh, yeah. I've been bleeding for six weeks. So I was actually really frustrated because I was like, if this has been this serious for this long, why am I just now being admitted into the hospital yeah because I didn't care that my baby was six hours away from technically being legally viable oh wow six hours they yeah they told me that too they were like if you go into labor in the next six hours we're literally not allowed to save her like we're not allowed to because it's it's just like they have to make some sort of medical cutoff with yeah. everything. Yeah. And it's not that I don't understand that as far as like I come from, you know, a relatively hard profession where you deal with very hard things like that and death yeah. and all of that. So I had been there, but it's like when someone's talking about your baby, you're like, Did you just actually say that? Yeah, it's a different ball game. Yeah, that you can't save her because of six hours. Right. I was like, I don't really care about whatever license or piece of paper you signed right. you're just gonna let her die because of six hours
1: right that's hard to wrestle with
2: but yeah it was for sure and so your bleeding did not stop no it did not um the, the few days at the hospital are like really a blur when i try to think about it
1: did your body ever jump start with contractions again
2: yes um when it starts to get pretty difficult Um, Mm -hmm. it was so I went into the hospital on the 9th yes was it the 9th yes and I went into labor again on the 11th Mm -hmm. Um, so those two days were basically just me bleeding in the hospital Mm -hmm. and doing everything I could you know nothing super good or bad um and then the night of the 11th, they couldn't get Freya on the monitors. So they, I mean, it had taken them hours. She was just, like, not into it. She didn't want to be on the monitors. And I, I don't know if it was her just knowing something was happening or if it was her trying to tell the doctor something was happening. It was weird.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: but basically, I started having contractions right about the same time that they couldn't get her on the monitor. Um and I have like the contraction monitor on so like they can see that I'm having contractions. But I was like, I just need to chill for a minute. It's because they've been trying to get her on the monitor for forever. She just needs to relax. Everything's going to be OK. So I take a little nap and I woke up about midnight and I was like, they're not stopping, basically. So mm-hmm. I called my nurse and I was like, I'm in labor again. Like, I, I know I am. Um, so. The doctor comes and you know, they they confirm all of this stuff, even though I can tell you I'm in labor, they have to confirm it. And right. She tells me that I'm three centimeters, which is not good, mm-hmm. obviously. Um you only have to be, you know, five or six centimeters when the baby's that small right. to yeah. actually deliver. Yeah, so indeed. I'm 10 at at least at least halfway there right um so they are like we're not going to take the baby we're not to that point yet but we are going to move you into like a birthing room so that we can give you magnesium again and um the nurse ratio to like patients in the birthing is like one-to-one whereas when I was upstairs it was you know one to four or five patients so they wanted me to have a one-on-one nurse
1: right
2: so they move me down there and I look at the doctor and I'm like you got to tell me because d- do I need to call my husband it's 1 30 in the morning he worked until midnight he has my baby at home like I don't know what to do like right. I, I really don't um and they were like I would call him and like give him a heads up but he doesn't need to come yet like we're not changing our plan and
0: mm-hmm. I was like
2: okay that sounds reasonable so I call him and I'm like hey I started my contractions again. It's basically the same plan as when we came in three days ago. Like, yeah. they're doing the same thing. They're going to put me on magnesium. It's going to stop my contractions again. Mm. Everything's going to be fine. Or, well, I wanted everything to be fine. Right,
0: right.
2: Um, and from there, everything progressed pretty, pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I got off the phone with him, and it didn't take long for me to have to call him back and say... I think you need to come. The magnesium's not working. Oh wow. Because it's usually pretty quick. Yeah. Um, when they give you when they give you something like that, you know, within a half an hour. Or so yeah. if it's not working, it's not working. So I start making phone calls at that point, like, hey, I think this. They're telling me that the baby's not coming, but I'm telling you the baby's coming. Yeah. or I think she's coming. So I was like 23 weeks and three days, basically. Um. And that's when I basically started dying. So I remember, you know, the the half an hour for my husband to get to the hospital was very scary. And I hadn't moved. I was like, I'm not moving until he gets here because I trust him to help me get to the bathroom because I didn't want to walk without having somebody support me and stuff like that. Like right. I could tell that I was, ble- I was bleeding a lot and everything like that. Um, yeah. gets there and I was like I don't know if I'm allowed to go to the bathroom based on what's happening but I really need to go to the bathroom like I need to pee Uh uh-huh um and she was like yeah of course you can go to the bathroom and I was like okay you say that but so I stand up and I just feel blood pouring Uh. down my leg like pouring yikes and I walk into the bathroom and I sit down and when you pass clots this is like super TMI but when you pass clots like if you hold your pee in you kind of are holding the clots in too so as soon as you relax the clots come come out out. yeah so I relaxed to try to go to the bathroom and I thought I gave birth in the toilet because of how big the clot that came out was Wow. and I remember it came out and I like sure panic like look at the nurse I'm like I think the baby just came out to this freaking toilet right now like I'm not joking so I stand up I'm like half done peeing and she's like it's not the baby it's a clot but you need to go sit in bed right now basically because she saw how big the clot was and that's like it was life-threatening like I-, I was bleeding out I was dying oh wow so she sends me back to bed and my contractions go from like early labor contractions to late labor contractions when they're like on top of each other, like as soon as you come down from one, you're going up for another. Yeah. Like it was like labor, labor. Mm-hmm. Um mind you I've had no pain medication wow. through that like none at all through all of this. Um so the doctor, I'm like, you need to get the doctor in here like right now. Like he I need to see he needs to come back basically. Like yeah. he had checked me for three centimeters when I got down there and he said if it gets worse, let me know. I'm like, I'm letting him know. Like he needs to come back. Um, so he comes back with like a portable ultrasound thing to see if the baby was breech because it's a it's like a big thing I guess when they're that small if they're breech or not. Um, huh. Breech babies usually don't survive a 23 week birth just because of how they have to get them out. I'm not sure as as far as all of that, but they were not happy that she was breached.
1: Oh, she was breached.
2: She was breached, mm-hmm. yes. And they talk about how they have to cut your uterus if you're that early they don't do like the regular cut they do an up and down cut on your uterus and basically you'll never be able to have another vaginal birth after all of this bloody bloody blah wow so he comes back and I tell him about the clot that I just passed and that I'm in a lot of pain and the contractions feel a lot more serious and all this stuff so he goes to check my cervix to see if I'm dilating more and He says, okay, I think you're, you know, a a little bit farther along, which I think he was trying to not have me panic. I think he knew the baby was coming at this point, but I didn't. So he was like, you know, it's it's a little bit farther along. But as he removed his hand from checking my cervix, like a very large, I didn't see it, but my husband saw it and his eyes blew up like balloons. The largest blood clot came out of me. And he basically was like, we need to go right now. She's going to like, your husband, your wife's not going to make it. She needs, the baby has to come out right now. Wow. Um, and I'm just crying because I know that she's not ready to come. Yeah. And also I'm being told that I'm basically dying. Yeah. Um, so they, I told him, I was like, I don't think I can be awake for this knowing that they had basically told me that she's not going to be alive and that I was also fighting for my own life they said you know it's probably better if you're asleep because of all the stress that's happening to your body right now yeah uh like the medication you need is safer when you're asleep because if something were to happen Mm. you're already we're, we're already ready to help you I guess is the best way to describe it okay um so they they put me to sleep and it's one of those like it literally was like a Grey's Anatomy episode where there's like a hundred doctors around your bed and you're running down the hallway toward an OR and they like burst through the doors and all the people are in there running around getting everything ready and the bright lights are like to a T what it's like it was it was wild what's the last thing you remember before you got knocked out uh, they were explaining everything to me so he was like we wait as long as we can to put you under because as soon as we put you under, like the baby has to come out as soon as she can, or she's like as long as she, the longer she's in there, the worse her chances are. So
1: hmm.
2: they're like putting the the sheet um, where they cut, so it's like this plastic thing yeah. that they put over your skin, and then it's like a it gives them like the area that they're gonna cut in basically. Yeah. He's putting that on, and the anesthesiologist is talking to me like you're gonna be okay. We're all here for you. You have the right team here for you. Bloody, bloody, blah, and I'm like hyperventilating. Literally,
0: I'm right. like,
2: I don't want to die. Don't yeah. let my baby die. Like, please do everything you can to save her. And they're like, you're in the best hands. You got the everybody's here for you. Okay, you you're, like, you're gonna be okay. And that's the last thing I remember. Wow. And when you woke up, so, sorry, Aurora's like <laughs> waking up from a nap. Oh, that's okay Um. So that was at like 5.57 in the morning. I know wow. that because that's the time that Freya was born was at 5.57 a.m. Wow. That day. Um, what day was Which was, was January that? 12th, the 12th of January. And I woke up in the ICU at about 12.30. Wow. Maybe one o'clock. So I immediately knew something was wrong. Because I'm like, why am I in this weird room? I'm not in a mother-baby room. I'm, and it's also been six and a half, seven hours since I went to sleep. And it gets explained to me basically that I had an embolism when they delivered the baby.
1: Wow.
2: And that I had basically coded. Oh my um, gosh, And that the doctors didn't actually bring me back that it just randomly stopped and i came back oh, and God. they don't they don't know why so they all the doctors were like we didn't do it like you you did it you wanted to come back and you came back basically That's and incredible. um so they were trying to explain to me that they were still trying to figure out, <clears throat> you know, how serious everything was. And if I had blood clots in my heart and how big they were and what lungs they were in, if they were in my legs, like how extensive all of my blood clotting was. Because that's mm-hmm. what an embolism is. It's, you know, blood clots in various parts of your body. Mm-hmm. Um. So they're telling me, you know, like they might have to put a uh, scope through my heart to see where they are, all this like very scary stuff. Um. And at that point, I don't even know if, like my baby's alive so I'm looking at my husband and I was like, is she did she make it like is she is she here? he's like, yeah she's she's alive she's here and uh-huh. she was in the NICU mm-hmm. um she was one pound and four ounces and she was ten and a half inches mm-hmm. a little tiny peanut yeah um but because of what I was going through medically I couldn't I couldn't go see her like in that moment that just breaks my heart yeah I couldn't move I was it's hard to even like just remember the few hours when I woke up because I was so like your body's so tired and you're so like disoriented Mm -hmm. and you're on drugs and they're doing all these tests like they're scanning my legs and they're scanning this and they're scanning that and they're telling me all this stuff and I'm like what am I like am I dying am I gonna be okay and everyone's like I don't know and you're like okay (laughs) I kind of wish you had a better answer than that right um so my whole family's there at this point obviously and my mom and my dad are just crying next to my bed because yeah. they had seen me when I was still intubated. So I was on a ventilator. Oh, that's scary. And they didn't think I was coming back. Like the, the doctors were like, we don't know. There's no way for us to know basically. Mm. Um, Cause they were questioning whether it was an amniotic fluid embolism or a pulmonary embolism, which are very different as far as recovery and how they can treat you. Mm-hmm. Um, amniotic fluid embolisms there's really not a lot they can do they just have to pray that you come back basically um and pulmonary embolisms are blood clots in your lungs so they give you blood thinners and you know there's just different things that they do so they figure out that my left lung is full of blood clots like full of blood clots um like pretty severe embolism it wasn't which I mean, an embolism is severe, but right. I don't know how else to describe it. I didn't have like one blood clot. I had a lot of blood clots in my in my lungs. Um, so I'm, I'm on a medication called heparin and you can't, it's not a medication where you can, you know, stop it for 20 minutes and then get back on it like it has to be continuous or I could have I could have died from the blood clots. Right. Um, so they were like, we're shocked that you're breathing on your own without needing oxygen, because your lung is obviously compromised, um, and we don't know how you're.
0: Like it's basically a miracle well. you're alive. Yeah. 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 How long did you have to stay in the and, hospital?
2: Um, I don't know. I think it was like three days. Oh. But they were like alone away like yeah. that's not normal for what happened to me
0: right for sure did you when were you able to go to the NICU
2: so I ended up having to leave the first time I went to see her it was like a few hours after I had been in the ICU and they told me like hey you're stable enough to where we're going to move you to a different room and at that point I was like okay well then if I can move to a new room I can definitely go see the baby and They're like yeah we're just gonna have to get you you know, a pretty fancy setup here because you're on, right? I had like four IVs. So I had like two two poles full of stuff coming sure. with me in the wheelchair because I wasn't allowed to walk. Um, but I, it was that night, I think, that I went to see her. Afternoon, night. It's hard to know exactly what time it was, but yeah. and it was it was wild seeing her for the first time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like it's super emotional when you see your baby in one of those incubator mm-hmm. things. Um, but she was doing amazing. And the doctors were blown away by her just as much as they were blown away by me. Um, they said that, that she was barely needing any help breathing, which is crazy wow. for a baby that small. And yeah. her CO2 and her oxygen were good. She was moving around. She was um, She was moving so much. It was wild. Like, she was just... Yeah. They would put her tube in and she would pull the tube out and, and they would. Well, feisty know, put, thing. Mm-hmm. She was so feisty. They had to like strap her down, basically, like straight jacket this one pound yeah. baby because she wouldn't stop moving. It was nuts. It was just crazy.
1: So, what were they telling you um, at this point about what next steps for her were?
2: Basically, they were telling us that she had a long road mm-hmm. and. They, there's no way for them to know what's going to happen with these things. Like, yeah. they can't tell you. Um, they just tell you, like, the, the the steps that you have to go through, basically. So they were saying that you wait three days from when they're born, and if they live that long, they scan their brain for per- brain bleeds because that's one of the major complications that they have with little babies.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, is that when they're delivered because they're so fragile and they're so underdeveloped that any sort of movement gives them
1: it's hard on in their brain. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And, you know, depending on how severe that is, it tells you whether or not they're gonna be, you know, able to survive or, or not. Right. But it was just like all this information and them telling us, you know, she's basically at a fifty fifty shot and every test is going to be up and then the next test is going to be down and it's going to be a roller coaster and they were like you guys have another baby at home and like we know that you've gone through all of this stuff jess and it was just like we don't we don't know what's going to happen but we're going to do everything we can yeah um and that's how it was for a few days really while i recovered in the hospital she stayed pretty good uh just you know going to see her and I was pumping so they would put like my breast milk on a little q-tip and I'd be able to put it in her mouth and it was so sweet because like she would react to my breast milk like more than anything it was crazy that's really powerful she would she would stick her little tongue out and she you could tell that she was like enjoying the breast milk
0: yeah
2: when she got it um she would get the smallest of amounts like 1.1 milliliters mm-hmm. so it's like basically a drop
1: she knows it's from her
2: mama yeah it was It was so cute I got to change her diaper one day too Oh. those little diapers like you would never even imagine they're how so small tiny they <laughs> they're yeah. so tiny that was basically she did really good for three days three or four days Um. so I got to go home from the hospital and I thought that I would do better at home because I would at least be with Aurora, and I knew that I'm only about 15 minutes from the hospital at my house. So it's like I can come back and see her. It's like not going to be a long drive to come in. You have these special cards when you have a baby in the NICU, so it's like super easy to get in and out. All yeah. this stuff. Uh, <clears throat> so the first night I came home, um, they called. But you don't you don't want them to call
1: right right
2: and said her lungs aren't doing well we have to put her on a different ventilator and i was like okay is this like i'm new to this you got to tell me what's like what's that mean yeah is she dying is she not dying is this normal because this happen all the time It like you moving her to another ventilator is that like her getting a heart transplant like what's that equivalent right I have no idea And he was like, it's not not serious, but I don't think you need to get out of bed at one in the morning and come in. And I was Mm -hmm. like, "Okay." so that makes me understand that it's not great, but Mm -hmm. she's not she's not leaving us right now. Right. And they ended up calling us a few hours later to tell us that they had moved her to the new ventilator but it takes time because it stresses these little babies out when they mm-hmm. get moved and touched and lights and everything like that Like yeah, it, they gotta let them, them calm down yeah. after all of that like it's not like ooh it's working immediately it doesn't right. work that way Right. um so I remember them calling us basically I, it's so hard to remember all the phone calls but they called us a few more times that she wasn't getting better on this ventilator, basically and um so we go back to the hospital that morning, and magically she's doing better. Which is, I was like, okay, I have no idea what's going on now because you called me an hour ago and told me the ventilator's not helping her and that she's not breathing good. And I get here and she's doing great. Right. And they were like, well, sometimes they respond when their parents come, and Aww. you know, it'll. They, they were like, up. unfortunately, they were they were just like, this is unfortunately the NICU roller coaster. Right. We're gonna call you and you're gonna show up and the baby's gonna be fine. Yeah and so that day she was good we were there most of the day I had you know a couple of my friends came and saw her and said hello and um we went home later that night and started getting bad phone calls again Hmm. um but again they were telling us you don't need to come in in the middle of the night I just want you to know that her lung disease is not getting better it's getting worse basically the ventilator's not helping her lungs um and i can't remember how many we got like four phone calls but every time we're gonna be like do we need to come right now you know what i mean like i need like i need it that plain. like i'm not a doctor i don't know what all this stuff means you know this different dose you gave her and this paralytic you gave her and all that stuff it doesn't mean anything to me like i don't know
1: that's hard to keep Um, up Exactly.
2: So we showed up. Oh, I missed a part in there. So the the day that she did better randomly, they also did her first brain scan because that was her third day of life. And she had no brain bleeds, which was like a really good blessing. Like super, super, super good, which is, yeah. So it was like, she's doing better today. She's got no brain bleeds. It was literally like euphoric. Like, oh my God, she's going to be okay. Like, holy cow, this is happening. And, um, it was that night that they started calling us saying, hey, she's not responding well anymore. We think that we're going to start her on these special steroids. We don't like to give them to the babies because of all that can mean for brain development. And, you know, if all the more medications they give them, the more likely that they're going to have developmental issues and right. they're not going to be able to bloody blah blah, 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 blah. But you have to, you know, make that choice. They're like, do you want us to give them the drug or do you not want us to give them the drug? And I'm like, okay, so if I don't give her the drug, she's going to die, yes. And they're like, yes. know, if I give her the drug, she may be... Won't be able to walk, but she maybe might be able to walk, and she might live, and she might not. And Ugh, it was like, yes. What intense so it's conversations. Yeah, but they can't tell you anything, so right. it's just like, you have to guess basically yeah, yeah. what you should do, because at some point, you know, you don't want to torture this poor little baby. Right. I Don't want to pump all these drugs into her, and then. Yeah. You know, it's just. It's a lot heart wrenching, yeah. Um. So basically, the next morning we. Get ready, and we hang out with Aurora for a little while because I'm also still trying to be a mother to my eight-month-old sure. baby. Yeah. And we go back to the hospital, and when we show up, she is coding—basically, the baby is. And they're opening her tube, her ventilator thing, and the doc- there's a hundred doctors around her, and it looks like her heart stopped. Like it looks like she's dying. So I immediately like fall to the floor. I'm like hysterically crying. I'm like, how did this happen? We, 20 minutes ago, you told us that you were starting this new drug so that she could have time for the steroids. And we were like two minutes from the hospital. And now I'm in here and it looks like she's dying. Hmm. And they ended up like replacing a couple of her tubes and she stabilized. I, I don't even know yeah. how it's, there was coaster. so much happening. That's all I can remember is that. Right i couldn't be in the room because i was like hyperventilating Mm -hmm. and there was and anytime like the doctor moves that little tiny baby it scared me to death like when they touched her it scared me when they moved her tubes it scared me like everything scared me and um so they bring us into like a meeting which was basically like hey your daughter's dying meeting Mm -hmm. Um, and we need to know how far you guys want to go and what your wishes are when we get to certain points and how much medication you want us to pump into this baby. And basically it's getting serious. Not that it's not serious to begin with, but it's getting serious. Like she's not, she's not doing well she's not responding to our medication. She's not responding to all of these ideas that we've had to try to help her breathe. Um, all this stuff, um, so, I have one doctor basically telling me that, and the other doctor saying, This is what happens so in twenty with 23 week old babies. This is every time I have a 23 weeker, this mm-hmm. is what happens. And mm-hmm. they always do this, and bloody, bloody, blah. And I'm like, Okay, so is she cool or is she not cool? Because yeah. now I don't know. So, we leave our little meeting that was like an hour and a half. And one of the other doctors, who I respect a ton for this, she like pulled me aside and she's like, I love this doctor I work with. He was a very sweet man, but he, can beat around the bush sometimes because he doesn't want to. He doesn't know if the baby's going to be okay, right. and we don't know if the baby's going to be okay. We don't. We don't know those things. She said. But when we have a 23 weeker that's going through these things and all of these interventions are not helping, they are usually not okay. Yeah. And I was like, I needed to know that because yeah. I didn't understand that that was the conversation that was happening. Right. It's so um, hard. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, I was, like, crying and everything, but I yeah. was, like, I really appreciate you telling me that because I didn't understand. He's telling me that it's normal for this half under 23-weeker, but I don't I don't know that, and I don't know how shit sick she is. I don't know what lung disease is. Like, you show me – they're showing me the x-rays and everything. Like, they were great. They were showing me whatever I wanted to see, and it's just, like, I can only understand so much of this. Like, it's yeah. above my head. Yeah. Um. So – that night goes by and it's the next day this is Friday no Thursday the 19th and she's still not doing good um she was starting to de pretty significantly meaning that like her the oxygen saturation in her blood is really low which obviously is like you can't live that way yeah um and the CO2 in her blood was building up so it's just like both both systems in her body are basically shutting down is the best way that I know how to understand it Mm -hmm. and the steroids that they had given her the day before take up to 48 to 72 hours to work so they were like we're literally just trying to buy time these steroids usually work miracles for these little babies we just we got to buy our time for them to start working and they were like we don't have any other medications we can give her to help her get Mm -hmm. through this like we don't have anything else we can give her the only idea that we have is to give her her mom basically And to let me hold her, which is very dangerous, obviously, when they're that right. sick and that young. Um, but it's known to help them breathe and it's mm-hmm. known to help help their help everything. Mm-hmm. And they were hoping she just needed a few more hours. Like she just needed a little more help and she was going to get to, you know, these steroids helping her in. So I, I held her um, for like three and a half hours. And you can't move when you hold a baby like that because yeah. she's got 10 tubes coming out of her and, right. you know, one millimeter t- movement on those tubes is a lot for a little baby yeah. like that. Um, mm-hmm. And she was on like a paralytic at that point, which means they were trying to take, she was fighting so hard to be alive and to do everything on her own that they were trying to basically take her out of it because she was breathing over the ventilator and she was moving too much and... The machines needed to help her and she didn't want them to yeah so she's on like this medication so she can't move but they put her on my chest and she was like moving and she's like responding to being on me and her oxygen stats like went way up and the CO2 in her blood like magically was better like she just it was like the doctor was shocked. She was like, "There was no chance in my mind that I thought that that was actually gonna work." Wow. She said, "I just didn't have any other ideas, and most hospitals won't even do it because it's too risky." Risky, yeah. With a baby this small, and logistically, it took—I mean—it took an hour to get her on me and an hour to get her off, and then three hours she was on me, so it's like a lot. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm- um
1: that was so special
2: it was special and it was like 10 30 p.m I hadn't eaten all day I had been there all day with her because it was like we were going through these meetings and I was just like praying for my baby girl to be okay and um I was like we finally have to go like we have I gotta go home for the night like I have to go get Aurora I have to try to see her for a minute I need to eat something um So we left at like 1030, I think, and we got the call to go back at about 1230. Mm -hmm. Um, They basically were just telling us that is, you know, they put her back in. The word the doctor used was that she was declaring herself and um, they didn't want to torture her anymore.
1: Wow
2: and that was just so happened to be the night of one of the biggest snowstorms we had of course of course so there's you know five inches of snow on the ground and it's basically like blizzard outside it's one o'clock in the morning and me and my husband are trying to drive to the hospital as fast as we can because we don't know how long until she actually will pass um um and we get there and they tell us that Her left lung basically blew apart. Um, so when you're breathing on a ventilator, it's like pumping air into your lungs to help you. Um, but there's obviously like things that can go wrong with that. And yeah. The ventilator was trying too hard, and she was trying too hard, and like her lungs weren't ready, mm-hmm. basically. And they said that like we can treat what's going on. It's a very painful. Thing. we put like a needle in their side and we puffed their, their oh. her lung was collapsed oh, so gosh. they'd have pain. to reinflate her lung and sew it and all of this stuff and they said we can do all of that but it's going to be very painful for her and it's not going to solve the problem of yeah. um, her lungs not being ready to be here mm-hmm. right. um, so they basically said we don't we think it's time to stop um she's telling us that she's not ready to be here basically yeah. um So they basically just, you know, take her off the ventilator at that point. Wow. And she, they just turn everything off. It's just, it's, it's a really weird situation when you're in, in something like that. Um. And they wrap her up in a blanket and they give her to me while she was still alive but obviously she's going to pass pretty quickly once the ventilators not helping her anymore yeah. and so I held her um, while she passed and then my husband held her and we were there for a little while and it's one of the weirdest parts is that you just leave yeah and they basically told us we had to take whatever we wanted out of the room that night because if another patient needed it they'd use the room like she was not there anymore so they weren't like we had her we had like little pictures up in the room and we had like brought little toys in there, and I had been pumping in there because they said it was good for like the bond because I yeah. can't press fear her at least she was I don't know but it was just it was awful yeah just but she tried she tried so hard she did everything she could to stay as long as she did and what day was that she the passed. 20th of January wow It's about 1.30 in the morning
1: this is just like less than 4 months ago
2: Yeah, it hasn't even been four months, though.
1: How did you hear of Emma's footprints?
2: I was just looking for something to... I mean, I've been doing, like, so bad, and... (laughs) therapy doesn't help it does some people and it does uh, it doesn't others um I've, I've tried it it's not it hasn't been helping me And I it's just like i need something to make me feel like i'm not like weird for being this not okay like this is yeah. bad yeah and everybody else just moves on and i'm like how am i expected to just move on yeah it's like my child died. It's not my grandmother died when, you know, your grandmother's older than you. It's still very sad when your grandmother dies, but it's not the same.
1: Right. That's supposed to happen.
2: Not supposed to watch my baby die. Yeah. And on top of that, I have all of these health things happening to me. And it's like my body did this to my sweet baby. And So I was looking for something other I don't know if I was looking for other people or just like someone to say how they were feeling to make me feel like I wasn't by myself Yeah. Yeah. and I found your podcast and I listened to a few of them and it was like the first time that I was like (laughs) these people feel the exact same way that I do and they are going through the same thing that I'm going through and listening to their stories helped me a lot to realize that all of these things like I wasn't I wasn't doing way worse than everybody else I was doing just how everybody else is I just don't have anybody else around me that's gone through this right until you found us exactly and to this day I haven't really told people what have happened what happened to me um even people that are in my life they know that we've lost the baby but they don't know what happened because i can't the re- the reactions and some of the things that people say sometimes they they mean well and they're they hurtful. and they do yeah. they're they're so hurtful and-,
1: and it makes you shut down then yeah it makes
2: you shut down mm-hmm. or they act so It's almost like you're like an alien to yeah. them because of because of this thing that happened to you. It's like unimaginable for people to go through these things. So they don't know how to respond and they don't know what to say. Yeah, right. And so it just gets super awkward. Mm-hmm. And if you, if I talk about Freya, everybody like clams up and they like either just start saying I'm sorry or change the subject. And it's like, I want to talk about my baby. Like right. I... Right. I love her and I miss her and I want you to look at her picture and ask ask me about her. questions, yeah. Yeah, and I want someone to say, you know, like, she was beautiful because she was and that's all I have of her so I can't let go of those things. Mm. And people telling you, you know, look, I'm glad that you're still here because of, you know, and you know, moms that go through loss, I don't think always feel that way, mm-hmm. and it doesn't make does it make us feel better for people to say that they're glad that that we're here. Yeah. Or that's how I feel at least. Yep. And um, as soon as I emailed you guys, it was like immediate. Just with, you know, the responses I was getting and how you describe when you've been through something like this, how you feel and what you've... It's just what everybody says, it's a club that nobody wants to be in, but once you're in it, like, it's just, those are the only people that understand you anymore.
1: Yeah, we're your peoples.
2: Yeah. And I was hoping that one person, even listening to my story, going through something similar would... Be able to understand that. Yeah. They don't need to feel like they're doing worse than they should or that they should be okay because you don't like, you don't need to feel that way. And if people don't understand you, that they don't and they won't anymore. You're not going to be the same person ever again.
1: Right. And to find people that can and will.
2: Yeah. Because we're out here. Exactly. That's really important. I think it's, it's helped me in my, I mean, I'm obviously still very much in the grieving process, but. Yeah. You are so brave, Jess. I'm so glad I you just, reached I out. had to start somewhere to, to just start talking about what happened because not talking about it's not helping yeah. me grieve.
1: Right. That's really good for people to hear that. People that have not, have that opportunity and that permission. Mm-hmm. Stepped into that yeah. space. Yeah. That's really good. A good takeaway for people. Jess, yeah. I wish and you were I'd closer love, so like, we could hug you.
2: I know. That's all I want is to people to feel like that they don't have to do it by themselves. And if any mom ever went through this, like, I went, you can have my phone number. You can call me at whatever time when you're crying. Do you know what I mean? Like, I would want to be there for somebody else because nobody should ever have to go through this and feel like they're by themselves or that they're not doing what they should be doing. Like, you don't, there's no way to tell somebody how to go through something like this. Right. And people will tell you how to do it and they, they shouldn't. Yeah.
1: Well, I think you're going to be a powerful ally. Um, go forward, you know, when you're in a space that you can sit and, and be that listening ear for other moms and families. Because I feel like that's what we do. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're lost moms, and then we realize, wow, there was no help. That's well, just my story, but um, and then <laughs> that's just you. This is me. <laughs> um, but then when you realize the power of a community, yeah, it's like you want to do that for somebody else when somebody has exactly. afforded that to you, right?
2: Exactly, and that's how I feel about finding you guys. Is yeah. like, as soon as I found you, I was like, oh my gosh, Aww. there needs to be more of this. Aww. Like, how is it? How is there not more of this type of community? Because great question jess i don't i just don't get how everybody's supposed to ignore these things yeah. like
1: we're, f- we're we're not letting that happen over here so yeah you can start our main chapter <laughs> and we will talk about in honor freya and you know love her and love you because that's what that's what we do i'm so glad you reached out and thank we are you here I'm, to... I'm
2: glad that you guys let me um have this be part of my healing process yeah
1: that's a really important piece and it's an honor for I still can't believe that we get to do this truly I know that's pretty incredible
2: yeah it is incredible
1: so now you're stuck with us <laughs> and <laughs> um, yeah, we'll stay in touch and hopefully we can meet one day and now you it's get to cool. you know be we get a part to, of us yeah and we get to know Freya <laughs> and say her name So thank you, Freya's Mama, for sharing her with us and your story.
2: Thank you, guys.
1: And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Stay tuned next week for another episode of Confessions of a Grieving Mother.